today on the Word Preacher Podcast. Does God make deals with the devil? A series of unfortunate events and true humility. I'm Brett Jensen and this is the Word Preacher Podcast. Come Follow Me curriculum for this coming week will bring us in the Old Testament to the book of Job. Now, Job is kind of an interesting book. It's a little bit different than some of the things that we've been working with before. It starts with God making deals with the devil. Let's get started with some reading. This is Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered and answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so this passage may seem a little bit out of place. A more realistic portrayal of the devil that you see even in other fictional works, um, it, it shows the devil avoiding God. He, he doesn't like God. He gets away from that. And instead, he makes deals with men. In exchange for their souls, he offers all sorts of things. Um, and that portrayal rings more true because we see people in the scriptures give in to this type of treachery. You know, Satan makes a deal with Cain, who agrees to secretly kill Abel. Uh, in his deal with the devil. Judas Iscariot, uh, who was possessed of a devil, uh, if you kind of read into what what John the Divine wrote, um, uh, he sold the Lord Jesus Christ to his enemy for 30 pieces of silver. Temptation was the M.O. of Satan in the Garden of Eden, how he approached Adam and Eve. He also personally came to Moses, unsuccessfully masquerading as divine. Korahor in the Book of Mormon said that the devil visited him as an angel. And in this case, he was successfully convinced uh, that uh, Korahor would teach atheistic nonsense and apostasy. 
The only time that we have an example of Satan approaching God to attempt to manipulate him is in the form of the temptations of Christ in the wilderness. But even then, Jesus pretty much knew who he was. And of course, Jesus was true to the commandments and the will of the Father. Now, um, of course, the incident that's described in the book of Job is meant to be poetic. Uh, there's a lot of things that they go into that uh, that are meant to be a poetic way of looking at circumstances. And so it's probably exaggerated. It's probably not something that occurred. But that's also important that we not take the idea of Job to be nothing but a fictional character in a fable just meant to teach a lesson, just a poem that's a moral with, uh, has a moral to the story. Job was a real person. He lived in the land of Uz, and the Lord referenced him when speaking to Joseph Smith as he languished in Liberty Jail. The dialogue between God and Satan is meant to set up the fact that Job was going to be tested. And that's kind of important because we're all going to be tested. The idea, of course, Job was going to have a really difficult test. All right, a series of unfortunate events. Let's do a little bit more reading. This is still Job chapter 1. For something, a book that has 42 chapters, there's a lot that happens in just the first chapter. Uh, let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 13. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands, and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So the poetry here wastes no time talking about the events that take place uh, that take Job from a place of success to a place of misery. In a very short period, he loses all of his material possessions, his children. He, he loses almost everything that he has. The response of Job is also established early. If we look in verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. 
The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So to make matters worse, the next chapter describes another conversation between God and Satan, in which Satan makes the case that uh, his trial is incomplete. He has not personally suffered. Sure, stuff around him was, was destroyed, but he, he really hasn't been affected himself. And so after this, Job is smitten with boils painful sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his hat. Not only is he deprived of his wealth and substance, he's physically smitten with immense suffering. All right, let's talk about his humility. This is, uh, this is the counsel of his wife that comes to him uh, in, uh, in Job 2, verses 9 and 10. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. So this is another sign that we can know that there is a little poetic uh, element to this. Some of these things are not probably not literal. The wife is portrayed as she kind of knows that this is all a test uh, to retain his integrity. That's something that in real life she, she may not have known. In real life, it's possible that she suggested, you know, it's how dare God do this to us? Uh, how how dare God do this and kind of speaking against God. Uh, that's something that's feasible. But uh, dost thou retain thine integrity is something that kind of is a clue. This is this is a test. Uh, and and she in real life probably wouldn't have recognized it as that. His friends come and they don't recognize it as that. Um, all right. Speaking of his friends, uh, he has several friends that come and the conversations that he has with them. This is really where you start to see uh, it, things get very poetic very quickly. There's a lot of metaphor and analogy uh, to kind of explain how, what God is like, what men are like, how much higher God is than men. And, uh, and why things are the way that they are. His friends, uh, so Job, of course, expresses his misery. He hopes his friends will comfort him. Uh, he, he prays even that God let him die. He suffered enough. He's miserable. He has nothing. His friends begin to suspect that if God is perfect and he blesses those that keep his commandments, then you can draw certain conclusions about those who are suffering, like perhaps they are not keeping the commandments. And so his friends turn against him, thinking that he has done something to deserve the poor circumstances in which he finds himself. Now, it's important to understand that God does help us as we keep his commandments. Some people look at this and they say, 
Well, this is a lesson that we need to understand that your circumstances have nothing to do with whether or not you're good or bad. And we'll get to that idea later. But before we do, we can't just say that. That's not completely true. Because God wasn't lying when he said that those who honor their father and their mother will prosper in the land that the Lord thy God shall give them. He wasn't lying when he said essentially the same thing of the promised land of, in the Book of Mormon. If you keep the commandments, you will prosper. And if you do not keep the commandments, you will be cut off from his presence. He wasn't lying in the book of Malachi when he said that he would rebuke the devourer on behalf of those who paid tithes and offerings. So why do bad things happen to good people? And why do bad people sometimes prosper? These are fundamental questions that each faith struggles to answer. Where is the justice? Uh, th these are absolutely crucial questions that, that people should think about. Now, Job does agree that God is perfect. Um, his response, though, is that even if God slays him, he will still trust in him. And he asks other philosophical questions. If a man die, shall he live again? That's something President Monson loved to quote from the book of Job. Um, and it's a question that resonates with, with people who seek meaning in life. Is this it? Or is there more? Job also testifies very poetically in Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Now, he explains also that the end result of those who are wicked will not be prosperous. Even though they may have temporary prosperity, in the end, justice will be done. God will make things right. Now, after his friends condemn Job uh, for insisting that he was not guilty, and in spite of his poor circumstances... Uh, the Lord then comes to, to speak to Job. And the, the conversation that the Lord has with Job, even though the Lord prided himself in front of Satan, that Job was a perfect man and, and loved, feared God and eschewed evil perfectly, the Lord really talks down to Job. He's already humble, but to kind of truly help him develop humility, the Lord continues to talk about how much higher God is than men. Where were men when God laid the foundations of the earth, when the stars were placed in the heavens? Humanity is not even capable of understanding the basic natural processes that occur all around us in the earth that we take for granted. There's a lot of stuff happening that we just, we don't get. After speaking to the Lord, in spite of how he's already suffered, Job falls down and worships the Lord. And he does not assert that he's deserving something better for himself. 
and at this God is satisfied. He condemns the friends of Job and commands them to offer a sacrifice that will only be accepted if Job prays for them. This is kind of an important lesson about how we should treat our neighbors in their time of need, because we may ourselves need their help. We all need one another. We are all the children of God, and we should care for one another. We should try and live justly and love mercy, deal with kindness and goodness, to those around us, certainly we will come to a time where we need mercy and may not deserve it. It will be much better for us if we have shown mercy to those around us. In the end, Job is blessed more than with what he had in the beginning. It enumerates 14,000 sheep come to his possession, 6,000 camels, a 1,000 yoke of oxen, a 1,000 she-donkeys, 10 more children, very fair daughters, and living after this suffering 140 years and seeing four generations after him. This brings us to some important conclusions. Circumstances in mortality really are temporary. Faith in the Lord is only valuable if it's not tied to circumstances, if it's not tied to conditions. If it is, it's not really as developed as it needs to be. We need to learn to have faith in all circumstances. And certainly, isn't that part of why difficult circumstances will come to good people? Trials will come. Pain is inevitable. God has metaphorically made a deal with Satan concerning you, allowing him to tempt and try you. Can you humble yourself when it is difficult? Will you develop faith in all circumstances? Naturally, Job sets an excellent example. The faith to believe that God is good in all circumstances will prove to be correct. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Next week, we will look in the book of Psalms. Now, the Come Follow Me curriculum lists three weeks to look at the book of Psalms. We may or may not spend all three weeks doing that. We may go back and talk a little more about the the chronicles that we skipped over. Um, But we'll look at Psalms next week. Of course, there's a ton of stuff in Job that is absolutely worth studying individually and with your family. Please do that. And as always... Fight on.